Hello, and welcome to the Inside Writing Podcast. I am your host, Josh Sippy. As a reminder, all of these episodes are recorded live Wednesdays, 1 to 2 p.m. Eastern time. You can sign up on the Gotham Writers website for free. Now then, on to the show. Today, we're talking with Adam Borba. Adam is a writer and film producer. His producer credits include Pete's Dragon, A Wrinkle in Time, The Odd Life of Timothy Green, and the forthcoming Peter Pan and Wendy. The Midnight, Brigade, the Midnight Brigade, a middle grade novel published by Little Brown, is his first novel. Adam, welcome to the show. Hey, Josh. Thanks for having me, man. <laughs> Absolutely. Thanks for being here. So, Adam, you, you've, you've kind of got a footing now in, in two different creative industries, in movie and in book. But I want to, I wanna, we'll get there in a second. I want to rewind to where this all began for you. If you were to sort of pinpoint where that creative spark was that kicked you off to where you are now, what, where was that? Where were you? What, what was happening? Yeah. I mean, I think like a lot of us, I've, I've just always loved stories. Like my mom says that like, you know, before I could walk or talk, I used to put, you know, board books into my mouth and like crawl around the house and like bring them to her. And then growing up, I was one of those kids that used to sit like right in front of the TV, like six inches away, uh, you know, as, as kind of a toddler. And then, you know, by the time I got to kindergarten, I was like, making my own stories and like writing and like putting on puppet shows for the class, like that kind of thing. I did like a ton of reading my entire life. I mean, like I just, you know, I grew up with just books covering my bed and I would, you know, be up until my parents would come in and say like, Hey, you, you got to turn the light off and go to bed. Um, and then, uh, you know, high school, like it just again, constant reader, but also constantly watching movies. I would probably go and see two or three movies like a week religiously. Um, I went to USC, I, uh, I majored in entertainment communication. Um, and then I, uh, I minored in film and, uh, I just did a ton of internships, uh, kind of throughout my, my college career. So it got to the point where, you know, by my junior, senior year, I was, you know, interning kind of three full days a week and then jamming my classes into two. Mm -hmm. uh, when I graduated, I, um, I got a job at the William Morris Agency in the mailroom. Um, I worked my way up there. Uh, I was an assistant. I uh, eventually worked for the head of the motion picture lit department. And then about 12 years ago, uh, I segued to the production side. And I became Jim Whitaker's first hire at uh, his uh, company at Disney, which is called uh, Whitaker Entertainment. Um, so right now we're um, we're in our, we're in post on our our sixth movie for the studio, um, and then kind of slowly working on more. Mm -hmm. A lot of stuff that I want to get back to uh, that you just mentioned, but I, I want to. Whenever you first sort of set off on this sort of creative journey, what was your goal? Was it just to tell stories, like the kind of stories that you read, or, or what were you hoping to accomplish as a creative? Yeah, I mean, like initially, I I thought I was going to be a screenwriter, like when I was in high school and college and, and just after. And I fell in love with things that I liked more and am better at. Um, I'm, I feel like in terms of screenwriter, uh, screenwriting, I'm much better at guiding people through the process than doing it in a vacuum by myself though. Like, can I go off and like write a screenplay? Like, absolutely. Um, I just don't like it as much as, as kind of other parts. Um, and, uh, lost my train of thought here, Josh. Uh, <laughs> That's all good. We're yeah. Just 
Yeah. So it's just like, you know, um, I, I thought I was going to be a screenwriter, but also, you know, kind of throughout, you know, school, like the stuff that people responded to most, I think was my prose. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I, as I kind of fell in love with the job at like the William Morris agency and kind of fell in love with the idea of development and like I, uh, I found out that I could kind of have my hands in, in a lot of things. Um, a lot of times the movies we make and the projects we do, they originate from kind of outlines that my colleagues and I will start on our own. So, you know, something that even though it, it might be an existing piece of source material, like it's based on this book, um, a lot of times we're writing kind of a three page treatment of like, you know, here's the movie version of that kind of in kind of rough bullet points or in kind of a, you know, a short form approach where it's, it works its way into three X structure. And then we, you know, find the you know greatest screenwriters we can, and they make it their own and, and take it from there. Mm-hmm. Um, with my own book, um, it, it, it honestly started off just the way as, as any other movie where I, I literally thought I was, I, I decided one day, like I, um, so our, our deal is at Walt Disney Studios. So we're we're in the business of making all audience movies. So it's kind of, you know, what can you make something that a family could go see together and then a couple would go see on date night. And if you can get those two groups, like that's kind of the biggest audience. And it's kind of just like how, uh, you, know, you know, finding those stories are, are tricky. So I, I felt like there was an opportunity for something that kind of felt like, you know, one of those like great, like Andy, uh, Amblin, uh, you know, throwback movies from the eighties, like having to do with a troll. So I was kind of digging around, like looking for source material and I couldn't find anything. Um, meanwhile, my, my wife is from Pittsburgh. Um, and we, we go to visit her family once or twice a year. And, um, I don't know if you've ever been, but Pittsburgh yeah. has over 400 bridges and, mm-hmm. and like, I'm, I'm a West Coast guy. I I had no idea until uh, until my I, I I became engaged, and you know it's a beautiful city. There's gorgeous bridges, and I, I was uh, just kind of sitting, staring at one, and I was just like, you know, and it, it, I feel like a lot of times with stories, it's kind of you have a germ of an idea, and then all of a sudden you find some other idea, and they come together, and just like, oh, I that's what I want to do. So I was staring at one of those beautiful bridges, and I thought about. Um, Kind of how much fun it would be if you were a kid and you found a troll living under one of those bridges and how much more fun it would be if uh, you found a troll living under one of those bridges and you kept it secret with one of your friends. And that was kind of one of the bigger ideas with it. And then the other idea that came with it was just like, you know, these bridges take up a lot of space. So like other than a troll, like what could you put under, under a bridge? And, you know, it occurred to me, like, you could park a truck under there. So, like, essentially a family could start, park a food truck under a bridge. And so you could have a food truck and a troll. And that was the idea. So I started outlining and very quickly what's normally like a three-page outline, you know, became dozens of pages. And I realized, like, oh, like, I I think I'm writing a novel. And I so I just kind of stuck with it until I actually did. Um, So that's, uh, that's where the book came from. So I want, I want to talk more about your book. We'll get back to your film stuff in a second. But since we're talking about your book, um, where, like, at what point in this, like, were you pretty familiar with the publishing process or did you just, like, the process of writing a novel, was this your first time going into that medium? Uh, well, two very different things. The publishing mm-hmm. process, yes. Uh, one of the other things I, uh, 
it, my wife not only uh, introduced me to Pittsburgh, uh, it, my wife is a, a literary agent. She's, she's a partner at, at WME. Um, so it, in terms of just like picking up how publishing works, like I, I picked up quite a bit through osmosis. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the, uh, in terms of middle grade, it just like, you know, I, I think it's probably my favorite category of books. It's, um, you know, I probably started reading it when I was six-ish, maybe seven. And I never really stopped. Like, you know, I very quickly moved into like the adult space as well. But there was never a, t- a, a year in my life where I didn't read two or three grade middle grade books. So it was kind of one of those things where I was always sort of aware how it worked, but kind of figuring it out for the first time on my own, I learned a lot of things in the process. Um, My very first draft of the book, um, I would say about a third of the book focused on uh, Carl, who's the the main boy in the book's parents. Um, And that was kind of feedback I got early on, which is like, yeah, just like, you know, you're you're favoring the adults a little bit too much. Um, a lot of times I was drifting through point of view more than I, I think was safe to do so in the middle grade space. Like, you know, I, there aren't hard and fast rules uh, in writing, but you should know when you're breaking those rules and know that you're breaking the rule to do something better. Um, so a lot of times it was kind of like taking a step back and just going like, you know, is this the cleanest and clearest way to tell this story? Like I'm, you know, being creative with my approach, but is that like the most accessible for a, a, a kid reading that book? Mm-hmm. So um, I think a lot changed over kind of my first, second and third draft. And that was just... Um, you know, the first and second was a draft just I shared with my wife and shared with friends. And then kind of the third draft was what I, uh, I, I kind of queried with and sent out to agents. Um, and I got a good response, but like everybody that engaged, like wanted to do a, a round of notes with me before I, I moved forward. And, and that kind of took it another big step forward and was helpful. And they were all notes that you know, when you get them just like, ah, that makes sense. And like, kind of when you're, I, I, I lucked out in my response. I, I, you know, I, I probably had notes coming in from, I don't know, seven or eight agents and you kind of just pick and choose the ones that make sense. Mm-hmm. And that's also how I ended up uh, signing with my agent. It was just like, who do I connect with the most creatively? Like, who are the notes that are just like, ah, this is actually where I want to go with this story you get it just as, as, as much as I do. And you're, you're making this better. And coincidentally, she ended up, uh, she works at the same agency my wife does. Um, but it, it actually was just kind of a, a happy coincidence and worked out nicely. I'm always curious about the agenting process because everybody, I've never heard the same story twice for how people get their agent. Um, it, it's always something different. So for you, was it was it a long process? I mean, what this was the first book you queried. It sounds like, and it sounds like the response was all pretty strong right up top, right? Yeah, I, I lucked out. I um, I think I I reached out to eleven agents. I nine of them responded. Eight of them wanted to read the book. And then after all was said and done, I ended up getting three offers from wow. kind of the revisions that went back and forth. 
Um, but it was in terms of, a, I was surprised by how long the process took. And um, like I, in the film industry, like, you know, if, if we're doing a project together and you give me, you know, your screenplay, uh, I am going to read it overnight and I'm going to call you tomorrow morning and tomorrow night, I'm going to send you written notes. Um, and that, that's just kind of how it works. And it, but it's also kind of not fair. Like I can, I can read your screenplay in like an hour or two, like, you know, reading a book, like, you know, some people can read books overnight. I'm a slow reader myself. I get it. And also, you know, agents have dozens and dozens of things like in their pile. Um, their clients are going to take priority over uh, a potential new incoming client. So I would say, when I, by the time I sent out my first query letter to the time I actually signed with an agent, it was probably six months. Um, and, you know, even just sending out the letter, like, um, and I, I spent a long time working on that letter. Um, and yeah. <laughs> it's, it's important. It's just like, it's, you know, you can write a great book, but no one is going to read your manuscript unless they fall in love with your one or two page letter. And like, it's basically, yeah, you have one or two pages to convince someone just like, Hey, I'm worth your time to finish reading this email. And two, this story is like intriguing enough that just like, Hey, you know what? You should stop everything, put like your priorities in life aside and make the time to, to read this. So it, it's, it's important and it, it, it takes time. Mm-hmm. So, you know, some people can, some agents, you know, respond, probably I think one agent responded the same day, a couple with the same week. And then some just like trickled back, just like, Oh, like I I got to the point where like, I'm never going to hear from this person. And then just like, you know, a month and a half or two months later, just like they, they responded. And like, I, I get it. And like, and I, I see it with my, my wife as well. Just like, you have to prioritize your emails. You have to be in the right mind space where just like, I'm going to read all of these uh, query letters kind of and and set aside two hours and like kind of blow through it. Everybody has their own system and you have to trust other people's systems and you have to be just respectful of other people's times and just uh, know it's going to take more, more time than you would think, but uh, it all kind of makes sense. And, and, you know, I, I got to ask because the response that you're getting from agent, it, it's all overwhelmingly positive, which I don't know. Were you aware that that wasn't that's not normal? Like for people, especially on their first book, usually yeah. it's like a whole lot of rejections. Were you surprised at all by the response or were you kind of like, did you know you had something good on your hands? Um, I, I was pleasantly surprised. I was expecting some sort of response. Like I was, you know, I'm, I'm in a uh, also in a business where just like if you call my office or shoot me an email, I'm going to call you back. I'm going to reply to your email. It might not be the response that you want, but like, I, I mean, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So I figured that uh, I was going to get a bunch of like, ah, no, thanks. Like not quite for me. And I was, that's what I was expecting. Uh, And I was surprised that uh, people wanted to read it. Um, Was it, was it a nerve wracking process for you? Cause querying for, for, I mean, I'm a writer too. Like it's always nervy when you send out queries, but you've kind of, you've been through so much in the film industry Were you kind of numb to that or was it like a whole new frontier for you? I kind of just, it was putting myself in someone else's shoes or just like, as opposed to, I sell projects all day. Um, so it's going a step further. How do I sell this book, but also sell myself? <laughs> And kind of that's that's the big difference. And I, I think you need to do both of those things well. Um, 
I mean, everybody has a different uh, and interesting story. So it's just like, how do you position yourself? Like, what is unique about you? What can you say in three or four sentences that will intrigue someone enough to read, you know, the pitch of, of your manuscript? Mm-hmm. And, you know, you mentioned getting into middle grade from an early age and then writing in it now as well. But I mean, even with your movie credits, it's clear that you have a very specific brand. And we often talk about our brand as a writer and what that means. Do you feel like, like, have you always felt like that was going to be your brand? And I I guess just opening up to general, how do you feel about this concept that writers should have a brand? I think it's more important than than one would like. Um, (laughs) And it just like... um, yeah, I mean, I I'm I'm working hard to to have a brand, and it's just like I and, and I've picked that brand very like I just I make the type of movies that I like to watch. Mm-hmm. I'm writing the type of books that I I like to read, and those things overlap. Obviously, there are other things that like I like to read and watch as well. But like, what do I like best that I also think I am best at doing? Um, and you know, some people get super lucky and their first books are like massive successes and like you're off to the races and going like, and you're established, like you can jump around a bit. But uh, for most folks, it's, it's, it's a, a marathon. It's just like, cool. Like you did your first book. What's your second book? Like, how are you building that fan base? Um, how are you keeping that fan base? And I, I, I think it's, it's about giving people maybe what they expect from you. Um, so you can deliver like, just like, Oh, you love the last one. Just like, I think you'll like this too. It's not the same story. Like um, I'm, I'm almost done with my, my second book now. I'm in, in copy edits. Um, it's in no way a sequel, but the, the first book is about kids in Pittsburgh that meet a troll living under a bridge. Um, this next one is about a kid from Pittsburgh that goes somewhere else. And then I I don't want to get too much into it, but you know, magical things start happening. Um, It's a slightly different voice, but it's, you know, again, it's driven by kind of heart and humor and and magic. Um, It's, you know, kind of a a little cheeky in, in the prose, that kind of thing, but it's, it's its own thing, but you read one book and you read the second book and you're like, Oh, I could see how this is, by the same person. Mm-hmm. One last question regarding brand is that were you always sort of conscious that your brand was going to be towards a younger audience or was that something that you kind of just fell into and you were like, Hey, I'm, I'm actually pretty good at this. I'm going to, I'm going to embrace this and make it my own. I think by the time I started working at Disney, I knew that like, this is the fit. This is, these are the stories I want to be telling. These are my favorites. Like, we just like make a list of your favorite movies of all time. Just like, it's like, you know, E.T., Goonies, just Gremlins, like things like that. And they all fall into the same box. And those are movies that like I've watched 20, 30 times, like Roll Doll books. Like, yeah, I'll read it again, like again and again. Like, uh, so just it it all kind of falls into the same thing. And that's what I'm connecting with. Mm -hmm. So I want to rewind now to get into sort of when you first broke into the film industry. Uh, So your first movie credit was uh, The Odd Life of Timothy Green. Where, where were you as a creative when that came about and what was your role in making that happen? Yeah. So I was, uh, I was Jim's first hire, um, uh, uh, Jim Whitaker, um, and kind of two weeks into our deal at the studio, uh, 
Disney decided that they wanted to make The Odd Life of Timothy Green. At that point, they uh, I think they had a first or second draft of a script. Um, you know, when you're making movies, uh, often the studio will see anywhere from, I will say, five to 20 drafts of a, of a script. And that's the studio scene that a writer will probably have written 100 and the producers involved will probably have read close to that. They sometimes writers share every draft. Sometimes it's every other, but they kind of go back and forth. But anyway, so, uh, so the studio had seen a couple drafts. They wanted to make it. The, the movie at that point was being developed by um, two producers, um, uh, Amit Zappa, uh, who is just an incredible story guy. He, um, it, the, the movie came from an outline he did. Um, he's a big picture, just puts pieces together. And he had partnered with um, a, a producer named Scott Sanders, who is very well established in, in the theater world and is now you know, producing big musicals on his own. But at that point, Scott and Amit hadn't physically produced a movie um, on their own. So they brought in Jim to partner. Um, I was Jim's, you know, first hire at that point. So basically, and, and only, so I was, not only was I Jim's assistant, I was the one who was like typing up the notes. I was putting lists together for like DPs and it, like anything and everything you can think of. And when you have a company that's two people, like everyone, it's all hands on deck. I mean, like right now our company is four people. Everyone does everything. So just like if we have a, a script come in, uh, I'm very excited about it, but you know, our assistant just like, Hey, like, you know, these three things aren't working for me. And just like, cool, let's, let's talk about it. And like, it sounds like something's not right. Um, so at that point, uh, when we came on, it was probably, I'm going to say nine months before the movie actually got greenlit. So we worked with, uh, Scott and Amit and Peter Hedges who wrote and directed that film. Um, did kind of drafts and drafts. Uh, meanwhile, we kind of started casting and then uh, eventually it, it, it went and then uh, kind of worked on just that movie for the next, I would say year, year and a half after it got greenlit, just cause it's, you know, there's a the long post process, there's marketing and uh, all that stuff on kind of the first time I was learning a lot, but I also knew a lot from being on the business side of coming from, uh, a talent agency. Um, you see the other side, but actually to kind of get into the weeds um, was was helpful. And it's, I guess it's, it's been very helpful to me having the background I had essentially just like pregnant, coming down from a place of representation, um, knowing how to position things, knowing how uh, negotiations work, um, knowing and considering other sides of things that uh, I feel like other producers who don't have that background don't have. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and it seemed like your next, your, the next film credit that, that was on your, your resume was 2016, which was Peach Dragon. Um, there's four years between there. So how were you evolving as a creative, both professionally and, and, you know, just creatively, like wh what was going on in those four years that led up to the, the release of Peach Dragon? Yeah. I mean, movies take time. Like I, I think I, started talking to Jim about the idea of doing Pete's dragon, if not my first, my second week on the job. Mm. And at that point it was, you know, we're not as a company, we're not in the business of doing kind of straight remix for things. We do reimagine and we like the idea that if you love the original Pete's dragon, you can 
love and appreciate that movie and love and appreciate our movie. And they're two separate things. There's thematic overlap. There's some story overlap, but, but they're their own thing. So it, it took time to get to the right version of that story. Um, so that was another one where, you know, ultimately, uh, you know, uh, Jim and I and, and a couple colleagues like work together on kind of a three page outline of like what that story should be. But before we even got to that point, there was a lot of arguing amongst ourselves about what we were going for. Like, what were the important themes of the movie? Like, what do you want to hold on to? And then eventually we brought that three pager to David Lowry and his writing partner, Toby Habrooks. And those guys absolutely made the story their own. They took a three-page document and turned it into essentially a 12-page document and went in and pitched the studio. Um, but, you know, again, those things, they take a lot of time to get to the right version of it. So you were the one that said, like, Pete's Dragon, this is what we're going to do now. Like, what made you say that was the one? What made that yeah, stand out for you? Pete's Dragon was my favorite movie when I was four years old. So that was, I've probably seen that original movie more than any movie. <laughs> it was one of those things, like, we had it on VCR, I'm sure... Uh, no, I'm not sure. I'm positive. It was one of those things that like my dad like recorded like, uh, you know, from television and just like, I was in, like movies over, start it over. And just like again and again and again, and it always kind of stuck with me. And I'm just like, but what stuck with me and was helpful in terms of getting to our own version of it is just, I didn't revisit the movie until very late in the process. So it's kind of like, what do I remember? Like what's sticking with me? Like what's important about the relationship between Pete and Elliot? Mm. um what kinds of things and that's again why it was able to be a separate own an own version of its thing mm -hmm. so between peach dragon a wrinkle in time and now peter pan and wendy these are all like source materials that have that have other editions like they've either been in print or on screen before is that what kind of challenges does that provide to you as the creator as opposed to working with original material um it's incredibly helpful in terms of just like starting from a place like, you know, a, yeah, a book has so much story that, you know, often there are choices to be made in terms of what do you omit and what do you change? And that's also, those are the challenges as well. Like, you know, a lot of these properties are just loved by people. Um, how can you get, how can you do right by the fans, but also do your own version of it? What are the important things that are like, absolutely critical that you can't change and there are choices to be made too um and it's just you know taking a book that could be hundreds of pages and then by the time you get to like a true shooting draft of a script like your screenplay is 95 to 100 pages and there's a lot of blank space on a screenplay you know mm -hmm. um so th there's kind of what is the most efficient way to get through the story that does right by the story and and by the time you're making the movie, it's also that becomes the most important thing. Like, how can I make the best version of this movie as opposed to um, secondarily, how can we do right by the existing fans? And hopefully you're 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 checking both those boxes. But again, there's there's choices to be made. And I want to ask about Peter Penn and Wendy specifically, because I mean, selfishly, I'm such a big fan of, of, of the original myself. But I've seen so many. I mean, there's. There's Hook that I've seen play versions. There's so many versions of this. So what was it that made it feel like, A, the time was right for this new one and B, sort of what was the, you know, the most important thing to make this newer one necessary? Yeah, I mean, it's just like it was, our goal with this movie is to make the definitive version of Peter Pan and Mike. 
Um, so I don't want to get too far into to, to story on this one, but there, there were a number of things that we came to very early on when uh, essentially when we were in, I'd say probably six months from finishing Pete's Dragon, the studio came to us with the idea. Um, and it was, hey, we want to do Peter Pan and Wendy. Um, actually, it was, we want to do Peter Pan. Um, what do you guys think about that? We'd love to, to keep the band together with kind of the, the same team. So um, we, had, we had a lot of conversations and, you know, that we started with reading the original source material, um, reading the J.M. Barry book and also the stage play. Um, and then we walk, uh, we, we, you know, we watched the original Disney movie and we talked about kind of what are the important things with this? And then if we were making this today, uh, even though it's, you know, still a period piece, like what would change? And, and there are certain elements of the story that don't hold up quite as well. Um, and you know, that they're offensive um at, at this point so just like kind of how do you do right by this story and moving away from a lot of those elements uh opens up a lot of room for invention like entire set pieces go away um there's a you know a different perspective on uh, characters and kind of leaning into to theme um so it, it felt like an opportunity to do kind of the best version of Peter Pan and we feel like the best version of Peter Pan is, is, is the story we're doing in, in Peter Pan and Wendy. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm excited for it. I mean, obviously, because it's, it's going to be another Peter Pan and I can't wait for it. But, um, yeah, I, you, you've mentioned a few times this word of theme, which, which is always, I always like to hear what writer, especially coming from film and having now written a book as well. Is, is theme something like, is that like one of your primary like action points when you first set out for a project? Because I know for a lot of people, they start with character, they start with plot. What is theme to you? Are you actively engaging with it whenever you first start out? Yeah, I think it's incredibly important. It is something I take from the film world, but of course theme exists in in in, in literature and I, I work it into my own work as well. But it's, I feel like as early as possible in the process, if you can find, uh, and when I say theme, it's kind of what is like the one sentence message Ideally, it's something universal that you're trying to say with the story. And it's not, sometimes it's a line of dialogue that's spoken. Often it's not. And it's how does the story all work towards this idea? Like how are each of your scenes building towards it? Um, And uh, all of our movies, uh, you know, ideally you have it in your first draft. Sometimes it's something that comes in draft two or three, but when you get to that scene, they're like, you're, when you get to that idea in in draft two or three, you're doing a heavy rewrite because it's just like, how am I working this through? So in, uh, in Pete's dragon, the theme is everyone belongs somewhere Hmm. in uh, Timmy failure. It's uh, normal. It's for normal people. It's okay to be different in a wrinkle in time. It's everyone is deserving of love. Um, in, uh, the midnight brigade, it's the, the idea of be bold. Um, it, it, it could be just that simple. Um, but it, it's kind of like, how does a story go to that? Like it, it work towards that and, and how do you earn it? Um, I, I feel like in addition to narrative and in, in terms of like always kind of adding conflict and propelling your story, 
um, just as important as 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 narrative as as the idea of theme, and then also the idea of, of character arcs. And the the most the more you can overlay those things and have them cross, I think the better they'll elevate each thing. So just like if um, so with character arcs, it's just like how does your 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 hero change? It's just like you go from someone who is timid to being brave, for instance, mm-hmm. and being brave, you know, you work it into, you know, the, the narrative or just like at, at the end of the story, your hero is allowed to succeed because they became brave. And if they were timid, if they were, you know, timid the whole way through, they, they would have failed. So that character arc changes. And, you know, ideally with a, a story like that, you'd figure out what is kind of the one sentence theme that can tie that together. So again, you're, you're playing with those three things and just like, I, I feel like that's how you get uh, the most emotion out of uh, your story. You get your readers to connect and then also you're, you're kind of leaning and you're, you're locking and you, you get to it, the challenging uh, traumatic narrative. So then does that change how you view and read things as a consumer? Like when you're watching a movie, reading a book, do you automatically look for a theme or is it something that whenever it comes up, you're like, ah, there it is. Um, yeah. I mean, it's one of those things where like, I think working in the film business and you working as a writer is, is it's both good and bad. Like you appreciate the great things uh, even more and you can turn your brain off. But if when something is not working, um, I am much less forgiving and it's a, it's a, it's a grueling thing for me. Just like sometimes like, just like, Oh, the, the, you know, this should be a close up as, as opposed to like immediate, like it can be that technical, but a lot of times it comes down to just like, Oh, just like, you know, the structure of this is, is messed up. Like this is not on theme. Um, I'm not tracking this character arc. And it's just like, again, these like very basic things. A lot of times when those things are wrong, the movie or the book is not working and kind of if you can simplify and clean that stuff up all of a sudden just like oh this story works or just like i'm very invested or i'm very forgiving like uh, this moved me so much like i'm crying about this just like i'm really in love with this character like i don't mind that like you know this scene at like the shoe store was like kind of boring you know just like so uh yeah it's 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 all connected Mm -hmm. And then one clarifying question, because you've been billed both as a producer and as a development executive or developmental executive. What, what are the differences between those two roles? Just your involvement in the project or? Yeah. So just when I'm a dev- development executive, I, I'm kind of behind in an office. I am, uh, it, my work is kind of closer to what an editor does uh, in, in the publishing business where, you know, and sometimes like the ideas are mine more often than not, it's someone else coming in, but like, I'm, I'm giving notes, I'm sitting down with writers, we're sitting on whiteboards, we're, we're breaking story together and they're going off and, and feedback. When I have a producer credit, I am physically on the ground making the movie. More often than not, I'm like leaving my family for like six to nine months or getting them to come with me. And I am, you know, I'm in prep for months. I am, you know, on set uh, all day long, every day from usually like, you know, I'm leaving the house at 6am and sometimes coming back at midnight and uh, five to six days a week. And then I'm curious how, how the process differ. Cause you've, 
obviously the, the whole film creation is a very collaborative process. There's so many people involved. And then you set off and you wrote a novel, which essentially is a solo endeavor. It, it's all you. What Were there challenges that you faced there being on your own writing this story? Yeah, I mean, uh, well, there's my film background helped a ton, um, at least in the, fr the first couple of drafts, like knowing story structure, uh, at least from a three X structure in a, in a film, that's how my first drafts come out. And so because of that, they're, they're on the shorter side, um, in middle grade, a lot of times my final books are about 40,000 words and my first drafts are kind of 25 to 30,000. Um, so yeah, and you know, going back and forth, they they grow from there. But if if I can write a first draft that is structurally sound in terms of like, oh, this would work as a movie, but this is a first draft of a book, I I know it's 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 kind of going to work, and then things grow out from there. You you go off on subplots and you go you know deeper into character, that kind of thing. And also, a theme is 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 something I I, I take from it as as, as well. Mm -hmm. So I have more questions. We might get back to them. I want to get to some audience questions now as well. Um, so first question, what does a producer look for most importantly in any story for it to be worthy of production? Yeah. Uh, so I, I ask our, we ask ourselves two questions when we take something on and they're, they're both equally important. Uh, so again, there's four of us at the company. So the first question is, would all of us buy a ticket to go see this movie uh, or this concept? And a lot of times because we originate our own ideas or we're chasing material, we have time to argue about things. And usually we argue about things. Usually, yeah, it, very rarely it's just like, yes, like something comes in like, or someone, someone has an idea, let's do it. A lot of times we will have conversations about something for like six months to years. And we've argued about things for years that we ultimately ended up making. Um, but over those, over you know, those conversations, you get to the best version of something where it's like, you know, you find the theme or you find the position just like, no, no, it's this meets this, or like, this is what it's really about. Um, and just like, oh, that'll do. Just like, why don't you say that like six months ago? Just like, well, yeah, I just thought of it. Um, <laughs> and then uh, question two is if we work with a great writer and help deliver what we think is a great script to Disney or whatever studio we set it up at, do we absolutely believe that they will make the movie? Um, so we, we, we don't take flyers on things. Like most production companies have, I'm gonna say 20 to 30 projects. At any given point, there's three to five things we're working on and that's it. We have a very high batting average. Everything we do, we put everything we possibly can into. So if we're working with you on your script, we're gonna do everything we can to help you write one of your best scripts, if not the best script you've ever done, and then also get your movie made. And we don't want to waste your time. The idea that like you write something beautiful and then like a few executives read it and they're just like, yeah, that's really good. Not really the type of thing we're going to make. Like what a terrible waste of your time. Just like you got a new writing sample, but uh, that, that's not your goal. Mm -hmm. Next question. I uh, would welcome any wisdom on getting representation as a screenwriter. It seems much less egalitarian than publishing where at least someone will read your query. Yeah. I mean, um, Here's the thing. It's just like, I think if you, this is going to sound, this sounded shitty to me when I first heard it like 20 years ago, but I, I've come to believe it's absolutely true. If you write something truly great and start sharing it with your friends, it'll, it'll get out there. Cause when people, and sometimes it takes a little bit of time, but when people write 
when people read something that is truly great, they want to take ownership of it themselves. And just like, you want to be the guy, Oh, you got to read this. Like, this is incredible. And you'll know it when you do it. Um, so what's great about now is just like, there's a lot of, it used to be, there was a lot of contests that were just like, who cares about this contest? Now there's like kind of real things where like you can upload your script to like the blacklist website and have no representation whatsoever, not even live in Los Angeles. And it it's mattering less and less now because we can all zoom as opposed to like, have you like physically need to come to my office that me might change in the near future. And, and honestly, I'm, I'm kind of hoping it does. Cause I feel like we, we do better work when, when we're in person, if I can sit with you at a table and we can spend like eight hours and just like bounce around ideas all day long, as opposed to like a 45 minute zoom session. Um, so those, you know, the, websites like the blacklist are, are helpful. People will read your script. People will vote on your script. If you've written something truly good reps, like young reps usually will take the time and find it. And then there are a, a handful of, of, of managers out there that will read unsolicited material. If you send them a query and it, it just like the publishing business, like spend the time, like you, you spent months or even a year writing your screenplay, like, don't write your letter in like a day, just like how can you position it and make it sound as incredible as possible. So anybody who reads that letter is just like, damn, I got to make the time to read this screenplay. Um, so find those managers, Google like that, that kind of thing. And that that's a great way to, to, to get into the business. And a, a lot, there's a lot of incredible young managers that will, that will read uh, things from new writers. Next question, uh, more of a general question. What were some problems you faced initially when you started writing a draft? I would say draft of either your novel or of scripts you've worked on. Yeah, I mean, um, I, I think just getting into the space of like, I'm, I'm, I decided very early on that like I'm, I'm, when, I'm, when I'm drafting something, I'm, I'm writing every day. Mm -hmm. And the first time I kind of came to that conclusion and, and showed up, it was, it was just about getting myself to show up and getting myself to push through. And like, I, I remember the, the first couple of days, it was just like, I got 300 words today. Terrific. And then kind of by the end of the process and what I do now is just like, the goal is 1500 and the goal is like 1500 while also doing my day job. So it's, it's finding the time and I'm, also a dad, I have two kids. My kids wake up early. So just like, I have to wake up before them. Uh, luckily they're, they're getting up around seven. So if I wake up at five, I have two hours in the morning where I can write every morning and maybe I can scrounge together a half hour or an hour a day. Um, and, uh, also it was coming to the realization that a lot of times that extra half hour or hour will not be continuous. It's kind of like, how can I make the most out of these five minutes that I have now, or this is a 10 minute period, like what can I adjust? And just like every little thing you do will get you closer to finishing and, and getting to the end. So it's, it's about taking advantage of that time and then better managing your time. Um, I watch much less TV than I used to. Uh, that's not to say I don't watch TV. I, I watch TV every day. I love it, but it's, it's not like I just like, Oh, I'll put something on it. It's always like, you know, uh, TV that just like, Oh, like secession is my favorite show. I'm going to, I'm going to watch this or just like, everybody has told me this thing is incredible. I'm, I'm, I'm going to make the time as opposed to like, just kind of veg out and, and do stuff just cause that's time you could be writing or doing something else with your life. Mm -hmm. 
similar question here, but did anything surprise you while writing your first novel or did you learn any lessons along the way that we, that you wish you knew at the start? Uh, from the, the middle grade space, it was, I, I was surprised that, uh, focusing on adults was an issue. And I was kind of coming from a place where just like, I've read so many middle grade books. We're just like, the parents are a big part of it. And just like, and, you know, it was pointed out to me, a lot of those were from, you know, 20, 30, 40 years ago. And, you know, while those books still sell and kids still buy them religiously, that's not the new stuff that's selling. So it, it's kind of pay attention. I, 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 and this, this, a lot of the stuff just like sounds so obvious when you hear it, like pay attention to what, what's selling out, look at the, the bestseller list, like what types of stories like her, her kids devouring and then kind of find the stuff that lines up with what you want to do and find your own version of that. Next question. If an author wants to pitch a book to an agent or production company for a film, do you send a query letter, a treatment or both? Uh, query letter. And for the most part, most, well, let's take it back. You're either going to get a form response that uh, from a, a production company that like, we don't take unsolicited material. So you're, you're going to need to get a, a, a rep first, but some people will send you uh, a, essentially a, a, an NDA, like a, some sort of a release and please don't be offended if you get that. And it's, it's not like someone's going to steal your idea. People have the same ideas all the time, but, and that's, that's exactly why they send it. Like, um, you know, I, I wrote a book about a troll and if you sent me an email out of the blue, just like, Hey, I wrote a movie about a troll. Just like, I, I got one of those already. Just like we, we have to kind of cover ourselves. So it just, you kind of just have to hustle and get it out there. But the, the best way to move forward is, is to have representation. So as opposed to you figuring out how to get your book set up on your own, like I'm sure it happens, but it's so, so rare. Like more often than not, it's, an executive or a producer finding something on a bookshelf or an agent or a manager they trust saying like, Hey, you got to stop and you got to read this. So focus on getting a, a, a good manager or an, or an agent. Next question. I've heard that everybody's looking for a female centric project right now. Everybody's looking for female centric projects right now. In reality, are producers actively developing scripts that are more representative of society? I think absolutely. And um, I, I think things move through cycles as well. So like, I think once you get to a point where just like you're speaking in absolutes, that means that like the business is going to change. So if you have the idea in your head that just like, oh, this doesn't work anymore, just like kind of give it time. But yes, we're constantly working to uh, find stories that are more inclusive um and more representative of society and that works both in front of the camera and behind the camera like a lot of thought goes into the makeup of our crew um you know 10 years ago just like the our, our crews probably had way more white guys on set than than they do today and it, and it's not that people are less qualified it's just I think people weren't taking the time to be open to going with, with what, you know, and I, I think that's leading to better movies and I think it's leading to better stories because you're getting artists from different points of view. 
Next question. What is the best social media platform to connect with middle grade readers when building your brand and fan base? And I want to actually expand that it beyond social media as well. Like where's a good place to connect with middle grade, just middle grade community. I wish I had the answer to that. I am terrible at social media. I am, I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram. I don't know if any of it, any of it moves the needle. I, uh, I mean, I, I have like a hundred followers on Twitter and like a few hundred followers on Instagram, but like those followers on Instagram, 95% of them just like, Oh, this is my friend. You know, like I went to high school with this guy, like that kind of thing. So I think there are some writers that are very good at, can, at, at, at doing such things. But I think more often than not, it doesn't help as much as you think, unless you're truly great at it. And, and kind of the, uh, it, it was, the thing to consider just like have you ever bought a book because of instagram or because of twitter and i think the answer is just like yeah sometimes maybe like once or twice it happens so just like it's rare and there's a lot of noise out there so just like whatever you can do to hustle and get yourself out there great and just like please reach out to me and let me know what works and i'll do the same so and i have a follow-up to that as well especially in the age of social media where you know, so much of it is about your platform. Have you ever been encouraged by agent or somebody to get a platform or is it kind of just, you know, that's just not something you're going to do. I'm, I have, I've not received kind of a hard press for it. You know, it's just like, it's kind of like, Hey, do you like, yeah, I, I get the question, you know, or like, are you on Instagram? Are you on Twitter? Yes, here. And, but it's never been like, Hey, this, this could and should be better, but it's mm-hmm. like, you know, I'm, uh, at, at some point I will, I will really kind of roll up my sleeves and, and try, but like, I just don't know. I feel like there's kind of like the, uh, like the top 1% that just like, you know, there's people that are going to sell books and regardless. And then there's some people that maybe are selling more books because they're, they're really good at social media. Like, I, I don't know the answer. I'm not going to discourage you. Like if, if you're great at it and selling books, like, Hey, you're great at it and you're selling books. So I, I want to go back a little bit to when you mentioned uh, how you're finding time to write when you have five minutes here, 10 minutes there, you know, being so busy, what, how do you manage your time to, to feel still like you're putting enough effort into your career, into your writing? Like, do you set aside time per day? Do you feel like you have to hit a certain word count? What's your sort of mindset there? Yeah. Yes. And yes. And like, uh, like the, 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 the basic thing is just like when I am writing and drafting, I'm sleeping less mm-hmm. and it's, you know, in, it gets easier every day. Like the first day, like I, I, I wake up at 5am when I'm doing it and just like the first couple of days, it's just like, Oh my gosh, it's 5am. Shall I, shall I hit this? And you just got to pull yourself out of bed and it gets easier much faster. Um, and so just kind of making that time in the morning for me is important and then kind of paying attention to those little windows of like, here's five minutes, here's 10 minutes, here's 15 minutes where I'm between meetings where I can just duck into my office and, you know, knock out a new paragraph or two. And each one of those things, like they, they matter, like that's a paragraph or two or a page that I didn't have before I do it. And as long as you're putting the time in and focusing and looking for those windows, eventually you'll get to the end. But like, I, I am a strong believer in, in writing every day when, when you're drafting, because you're, you're thinking and you're coming up with ideas. So even when you're not having those five or 10 or 15 minute windows, 
you're thinking about where you're going next. So when you do have the time to sit down and do it, you're getting through it faster as opposed to staring at a, at a blank page. It's like, oh, like I need to write this scene or like I, I need to go back and clarify the theme that like I finally came up with and just like we're, you know, this feels off what I'm saying with the book. So then last question to follow up on that is, you know, we, we all struggle with writer's block and whatever your, your view on it is, but it, what if you sit down to write and one of those moments is just not there? How do you, how do you convince yourself to keep writing even when it doesn't feel like it's good stuff? Yeah. I mean, um, I think when you really do have block, you're, you're advancing your process just by sitting there. And a lot of times you're just, there's a lot of exercises you can do just like, make a list of things that wouldn't happen next. And a lot of times that kind of thinking brings you to what should happen next. And sometimes if you're really blocked, we're just like, I wrote myself into a corner. I don't know what would happen next. And then just like, take a step back and think like, did I take a wrong turn somewhere? Like, am I going the wrong way with my story? And then just kind of go back and work on a quick outline. Just like, you know, if I got rid of the last 10 pages, I I did what could have happened instead. Like, how would I move it forward? How would I get to the end? Mm -hmm. Um, When I write, I like to, I start with, you know, just like I start with movies, I I write like a three page outline, which is kind of a a bullet beat sheet. And with a book, it's much more vague than a movie. And like, there could be a beat or just like something bad happens. And then next beat, like literally, that's what it will say. Something bad happens. And then something worse happens after that. And like, I'll figure out what those things are. Cause a lot of times I, it could be something bad that happens to a character that like, I had no idea was going to be in this book by the end, but just like, so it's a guide and it also grows and like, it, it gives you an opportunity for callback. So I, I may start with a three page outline by the time I finish the book. I probably have a 20 page document because I just continued to write beats and give myself an idea of where I'm going. I might have an idea for the end at some point. I might not know what the ending is until I get there. But as long as you're giving yourself kind of guide points, like I know this type of thing has to happen in the future, you're writing to something. I like that. Uh, and, and then last thing is, is any parting advice to creatives out there who, who maybe want to follow in the footsteps of what you've done or who want to get a film produced or who want to get a book published. What, what's parting advice to them to sort of help them on their way if you had to summarize it all? I think in addition to when you're, when you're writing to write every day, just as important, if not more, is, is read every day. Um, it, you'll get inspired. You'll, you know, get ideas. Um, you will hone your craft. If, uh, if you want to be a screenwriter, um, you know, there, there are so many databases online where you could probably get like any screenplay you can think of, read that screenplay and then also watch that movie, pay attention to how it develops, figure out what the theme is, um, pay attention to screen transitions, pay attention to character arcs and all of that stuff applies to literature and, and, and publishing as well. Um, and then last, but certainly not least anything that you have to promote, where can people connect with you? I know you don't do social media that much, but if people want to connect with you, where can they find you? Yeah. I mean, uh, I, I'm on, I'm on Twitter, I'm on Instagram and then, uh, would love to promote the book. So thank you, Josh. Uh, here's a guy over here. It's, uh, it's called the midnight brigade. You can, uh, hop on and order it from your favorite bookstore. Um, love to hear what you think. Awesome. Well, Adam, thank you so much for being here. This was a great conversation. Thanks for having me, Josh.
Of course. So to all of our listeners, uh, we'll be back next week. We're talking to Phil Cohen, a developmental executive at Warner Brothers. So we will be talking to him then. And everyone, thank you for being here. And we will see you next time.